there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career double shot K-Cup with my guest, Rachel Sider. I was hoping, Rachel, that you could break down for our young listeners what it means in practice to be working in a coalition. You alluded to the other partners that you had to try to influence the different members of the Security Council to support UN Security Council Resolution 2165. I know from my experience, having worked at Mercy Corps, where you and I met when I was vice president of policy, the coalition work is absolutely essential if NGOs are going to have any hope of influencing international institutions like the United Nations or any big donor governments. But it's kind of like herding cats. So Mm -hmm. can you give us a flavor of what it means to be trying to advocate as a coalition and just how unbelievably time-consuming it is with all of the different meetings you need to have and all the different tactics that you need to be employing to try Mm -hmm. to move the needle. Yeah, it's an absolute nightmare at times, but it's absolutely critical approach to take when you're talking about some of these really big and sticky policy issues. You know, in my experience, there are a number of different factors to consider. And especially when it came to 2165, the most important thing and the reason a coalition was so important was because we needed to have one very consistent and very coherent message coming from every member of the humanitarian community, whether they were a Syrian NGO or an international NGO or a UN agency, as well as a member state. So the common message was the number one rationale for holding the same line. What we found was that it It was easy initially to hold on to the same message so long as the politics didn't really get in the way. Now, as the negotiations progressed, there were a number of different things that we had to consider in the coalition. The first one was we needed people to bring to the table evidence and examples to be able to substantiate the common messaging and the common position that we had developed. So everyone had to bring something to the table so that we could put together a big picture representation of why this issue was so important to all of us at the same time for the same reasons. The second thing that was really important was that we had to really delineate clearly roles and responsibilities and identify who was tasked with responding to or interacting with whom at different levels. So you have, you know, New York-based organizations that needed to be the focal points for liaising with diplomatic missions in New York. You had field-based organizations that were responsible for channeling evidence and arguments and messaging up to people in New York. 
So you had to have really clear roles and responsibilities. Third, you had to have coordination infrastructure. So you had to have, you know, these weekly calls where everyone was on the same phone call and tactics were discussed and strategy was agreed and organizations would sign up for specific functions and responsibilities. And you needed someone to coordinate all of that. And that was a real headache having to decide who that was, because of course, there are always internal politics and perceptions that come with one organization volunteering for a certain function over others. And I think fourth, there was an underlying need to manage the politics between different organizations. So even though we all have the same position and we're all asking for the same thing, we might have different motivations or we might deviate from that position at some point because the circumstances changed. And that definitely was the case towards the end of the 2165 negotiations, where it was very clear that the position that we had all agreed on was no longer sustainable. And there started to be a breaking apart between different organizations or certain agencies being more willing to push a compromise than others. And it became harder and harder to hold that coalition together as one unit. So those were some of the elements that we dealt with. What I would say is it really helps to have one of these big coordination entities responsible for this. So in our case, it was Interaction, which is a DC-based forum that is intended to do exactly that, to manage coalitions and to build them and to provide the resources and infrastructure to allow them to succeed. And so they really hosted a lot of the day-to-day functions that were required to make a campaign like this possible. But I've also seen coalitions that fall apart because they don't have that infrastructure or because they don't have enough people to be able to make themselves available for you know coordination meetings to coordinate the coordination of the future coordination meetings. So there's a lot of inner workings and meetings that have to be established to then make future meetings more successful, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It does to me, but I hope our listeners are getting a sense here that there are a shitload of meetings when you're trying to work in a coalition. And what do you think the secret is, if there is one, Rachel, to actually being successful in mobilizing a coalition. Yeah. You know, for me, what's really important is that a lot of this is personality based and a lot of it is politics between one organization and another that are always there. And what's really important is that people set that aside for a minute and they kind of leave, park that outside the room. And the meetings that are established are very much with the sole objective of preserving as much humanitarian assistance for the people of Syria as possible. And I found that when people were reminded that that's the objective and that's why we're all here, at the end of the day, they can let go of either individual issues they might harbor or tensions between different organizations and hold true to that initial objective. That being said, I mean, not everyone operates that way, right? I mean, that's what keeps me motivated at the end of the day. And a lot of my peers, I would say, are in the same boat. But these issues are then elevated at such a high level in New York. I mean, at one point during these negotiations, you had Erdogan and Putin and Macron discussing these issues. So it's all nice and well if these policy and advocacy advisors can all agree that what's best for the people of Syria is one thing, but that often doesn't translate to the much higher echelons of power. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. 
Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.